Praise God. Amen. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts, the second chapter. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read from verse 36. And there will be some slides up there as well. Thank you to our wonderful tech team. Praise God. Acts chapter 2, reading from verse 36 right down to verse 47. Amen. Hopefully you've got it there in your Bibles. If you had to read, you can underline as well. You can take notes on the side. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 36, it says this. Peter's been preaching. He says, Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And that's a great way to describe what happens when your conscience is pricked. They realized that they weren't right with God. They realized that they had done wrong. They were pricked in their heart and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, he told them what to do. Remember, Peter had the keys to the kingdom. Here he is preaching. He said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's pretty clear what you got to do to be saved. It starts, of course, with faith. Faith enough to say, well, what must we do? And then to repent and change our life. Some people would say baptism isn't necessary. But Peter said, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so your sins can be washed away. And then God does His part, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Some people say it's only for a certain group of people. But here it is, for the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. With many other words did He testify and exhort. He said, save yourselves from this untoward generation then they that gladly received his word were baptized and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls i love reading this this is powerful three thousand souls were added but here it is and they everyone say they and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship everyone say fellowship they continued in the apostles doctrine and they continued in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and they parted them to all men as every man had need and they everyone say they they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did they eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I want to speak tonight. It's a word that a lot of people, a lot of Christians don't use properly. It's a, a lot of Christians don't understand this word and what it really is. But I want to speak tonight about fellowship everybody say fellowship 
You see, around church, we call eating biscuits after church, we call it fellowship. <laughs> Having a cup of coffee, we call it fellowship. Fishing, we call it fellowship. And that could all be part of fellowship. But eating food and just hanging out together is not fellowship. We want to look at what the Bible says about fellowship. Let's pray. Lord, help us to, as we study your word tonight, help us to understand, help us to apply it to our lives, help us to learn something, Lord God, that we haven't seen before. Lord, correct, reprove, rebuke, instruct us through your word tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. You may be seated. We're going to talk tonight about fellowship. Now, the word fellowship comes from the Greek word, brother often, which is kinonia. Good. I need his help to pronounce it. Kinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And what it means, that word kinonia, it means that it's a group of people that hold something in common. And that word is used throughout the scriptures. In fact, in the New Testament, there's about 20 times where that word kinonia or koinonia is used. Koinonia describes unity. Everybody say unity. We've got something in common, but unity that, and especially in, as Christians, the, the unity that comes from the shared beliefs that we have, the shared convictions that we have, the shared behaviors that we have, the unity comes that we have a shared focus in that we as Christians are following Jesus. That's what we have in common. And, and as, as Christians, as, as disciples of Jesus, we are followers and we have that in common. And when we get together, we have, there is a unity that is there and that is fellowship. Everyone say fellowship. Now, there's something about fellowship that is very important. It's not just on a horizontal level. It's not just me and you. Because proper Christian fellowship is not just horizontal. There needs to be, it needs to be vertical before it can be horizontal. Listen to what I'm saying. So that there, there, it's a, it's a two-dimensional thing, Christian fellowship. And it needs to start with, a vert, with the vertical before it becomes horizontal. Otherwise, otherwise it's not Christian fellowship. It's not biblical fellowship. And so we must know before we can call it Christian fellowship, we must know the reality of fellowship with God first. I mean, we cannot have fellowship with somebody else if we don't first have a relationship and fellowship with God. Okay, so we need to know the reality of fellowship with God before we can know the reality of fellowship with each other. Why is that? Because the unity comes, the unity that we have together is our relationship with God. And when we come together as Christians, there's something special that happens and we have something in common because we have a relationship with God, we are serving God, we are following His Word, all of those things. And so... You can't call it real Christian fellowship if somebody doesn't have a, if they don't, there's no relationship with God. And so the person who is not in fellowship with God doesn't have any fellowship to share with other Christians. In fact, I would say they probably need evangelism first and then they need some discipleship so they can come into fellowship. And so it's very, very important the relationship with God comes first 
And I was, as I was preparing, I thought I'd throw this in for the young people that are looking to find a husband or a wife because the, the, the same principle is important. The Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? That's Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Two people can't walk together unless they're both walking in the same direction, unless they're both desiring to go to the same place, unless they are walking at the, you know, even the same pace and headed in the same direction. Amos 3 says, two can't walk together unless there's an agreement between the two. And then 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I mean, that's obviously talking about any relationship, and we could definitely talk about marriage, that it's not right for a Christian to marry an unbeliever because there is an un, they're unequally yoked, and they're pulling in different directions. And you don't have to be a, a, a theologian to see how somebody who's a Christian who marries a non-Christian, how there's going to be potential difficulties in that relationship. Even when it comes to Sunday morning, what are we going to do on Sunday? Well, there's a source of conflict straight away. Okay, so the scripture gives us wisdom and it's not just marriage, but it's other partnerships like business partnerships. Imagine being in business with somebody that's not a Christian and the tax, it comes tax time. And the non-Christian says, well, I know we made 100,000, but let's just write 10,000. The non-Christian says, that. the Christian says, we can't do that. That's cheating and lying and stealing. And now we've got a conflict. That's why the scripture says, and, and the reason why is that Christian who is in partnership with that other un dishonest businessman, he's going to be tarred with the same brush because they're in partnership together. And so here's something that I really, really, some good advice for people that are looking to get married one day. Make sure... The person you're going to marry loves God more than they love you. That's so important. Make sure they love God more than they love you. And if they love God more than they love you, well, they're going to love you properly. And they're going to love you morally. They're going to love you the way you ought to be loved. Because why? They, you both love God more than you love each other. And when you bring that, that vertical relationship into the horizontal relationship, you will be blessed. I know some people here, maybe you can say, Pastor, I had to learn that the hard way. Maybe, maybe some here are young and they think, well, Pastor, you're just narrow-minded and all those sort of things. Well, give it a few years and you might appreciate what I had to say tonight. Because a lot of people, I, I, I try to help them and they think, well, you know what, Pastor, I understand what you're saying, but I think I'm going to be the exception to the rule. <laughs> Don't fool yourself. A lot of people make the mistake thinking, yeah, it's all well and good that you say that, and I understand, but I think I'm going to be the exception. No, you won't be. <laughs> and so fellowship means common participation in something, and, and it involves giving and receiving. And so true fellowship, there is an exchange. Maybe it's encouragement. Maybe it's helping. Maybe it's lifting someone up, praying, but there is giving what you have to the other person or receiving what the other person has. Give and take is the essence of fellowship. And give and take must be the way of fellowship in the common life of the body of Christ. We, the Bible says that we are the body and we are fitly framed together, joined together, and we all complement each other. And so when we come together, 
Different people are going to have different talents and different abilities, different giftings. But when we come together, there's give and take and in fellowship. And so that is such an important thing. That it's not just coming into fellowship so you can get, but when you're in fellowship and you've got a relationship with God, you can use your giftings and talents and abilities or even life experiences to help somebody. It's very important. Now, I've heard this said a lot. People say, well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And I've heard that a lot. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And that, that sounds true-ish. Everyone say true-ish. I don't know if that's a word. Someone can check the dictionary. Sister Kim. It sounds true-ish. You know what I mean? It sounds true. I'm not sure. True-ish. Yeah, I can have a relationship with Jesus without going to church. They say, church doesn't save us. And that's correct. Just because you put a cow in the garage doesn't make it a car. There are plenty of people that come to church that aren't Christians. I'm sorry to burst your bubble tonight. You may meet some people that live a lifestyle that is far from a Christian lifestyle, but they're in church. Well, the wheat and the tares grow together, don't they? The Bible says. But... It's faulty thinking because, first of all, the person that says, I don't need to go to church to be saved and I don't need to go to church, the first thing they've got wrong is that they've equated the church to being a building. The church is not the building. I know we call it a church, a church building, but the reason this is a church building is because the church meets here. And you and I are the church. Okay, so they made a mistake. I don't need to come to church to be saved. Correct. You don't have to go to a building. They're thinking, I don't have to go to a building. And they're correct. You don't have to go to a building to be saved. But we are part of the church, which is the body of Christ. And so be careful. Be careful of true stuff. Think about it. Sometimes it sounds true, but when you, when you look into the Word of God, you'll find it not to be true. The church is not a building. It is the people of God when we gather together. And so you can have church under a tree. You can have church in the park. Wherever the, the body of Christ comes together, church is wherever two or three are gathered together in His name. Church is wherever the body of Christ is. And so you don't have to come to a building to be a Christian. You don't have to come to a building to be saved. But it is, and it's true. I guess you can fellowship with God alone. A lot of people say, well, pastor, you know, I'm not a church person, but God and I, we got something going on, you know. God and I, we, we got something going on. I don't need anybody else. I've got this special thing, you know. And yes, we can have fellowship with God alone and we can have a time of prayer and we can have devotion, but there is a dynamic that we miss. Everyone say we miss. And there's spiritual growth that we miss when we are not in fellowship with other believers. You cannot be the person God created you to be if you're not in fellowship with other believers. You say, but I don't like people. That's exactly why you need to be in fellowship. Because the people that you don't like are going to make you a better Christian. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's why the scripture says, iron sharpeneth iron. Sounds like, sounds like a good thing until you really think about it. The people that really grind you, 
They're sharpening you. I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're making you more loving, more patient, more merciful. We've got people in church, sometimes we call them grace builders. God's trying to teach you to have grace. You need even the most difficult people to be the person that God has called you to be. We miss so much when we are not in fellowship with other believers. And it is God's will that we as Christians, that we come together as the spiritual body comes together on a local level. And they've been doing it for 2,000 plus years. That's why, yeah, online is great. And we welcome our online audience today. But the Bible says it's wonderful when we come together. When we come together, there's a dynamic that we miss when we're not in fellowship. And so we kind of got to feel a little bit of that when we were, when we were locked down. You know, uh, people spoke so fondly about church, you know, when they're locked down. We had some people that they come to church, uh, they were out in the car park. They drove to church, watched a live stream, and they weren't allowed by the law to come in the building. But they drove to the car park, watched the live stream in the car park. They said, Pastor, I just wanted to come be around here where, where we normally gather together. I know it's just a building, but they thought, I just, I just want to be with other people. We might have broke the law a few times. Some people came and they, they knocked on the door. How can I say they just said, Pastor, can we just, can we just come and sit in here? It wasn't many, one or two maybe. How can I say no? They're at home all alone. They just wanted to be around other people. We miss out so much when we're not in fellowship. And it's God's will that we get together as a spiritual body. A number of the New Testament letters most of the New Testament is epistles written to the church, the body of Christ at a local area, a body of believers. And there are so many things, listen to this carefully, that God requires of us that we cannot do unless we are in fellowship. There are commands that God has given us that we cannot obey unless we are in fellowship. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, there's, there's, there's nearly 61 another commands in the New Testament, that you can't obey unless you're part of a, a fellowship. How can Galatians 5 verse 13 says, serve one another? Maybe that's why people like to say, God and I have got our own thing going, you know. It means I don't have to serve anybody. I don't, I don't have to humble myself to anybody either. I don't have to love people I don't like. Don't have to see people that are like, God and I got our own thing going. But there is a whole lot of commandments. In fact, there's around 60 commandments, and we call them the one another commandments, that you cannot obey unless you're part of a fellowship. Serve one another. Romans 15 talks about accepting one another. Colossians 3 says forgive one another. Galatians 6 says bear one another's burdens. Romans 12, I'm just going through a few of them. There's 60 of them. Be devoted one to another, Romans 10. Honor one another, teach one another, submit to one another, encourage one another. All those things you can't obey. You can't even do it unless you're in fellowship. And this is even more important as we're in the last days. We're quickly going to find the importance of fellowship in the last days, we need each other. We need encouragement in these last days. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together. Let's come together as Christians to encourage each other. Don't forsake it. 
I know sometimes you're going to have to work shift work and all those sort of things. We might not be able to be in church every week for whatever reason. Hopefully it's a good reason. Not just because you you're too lazy to get out of bed. But, and there's a writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake it. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, come together, encourage each other, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so we ought to be in church more in the last days. In fact, as I was reading Acts chapter 2, it says, and they continued daily. And I was driving a Kudamundra, I was in the car six hours today, so I, got, I did a bit of thinking. And I thought, daily. I said, why is it that we can, we can make church just a weekly thing, a Sunday thing, when the first church made it a daily thing? And I'm not saying we're going to start having church every day and every night and all those sort of things. But for all of us Christians, fellowship should be a daily thing around other Christians, praying for somebody, praying with someone, encouraging someone, and all of those things daily. They continue daily, steadfastly, daily. It's so important. And so biblical fellowship is not just coffee and biscuits. Biblical fellowship is not social gatherings. Proper biblical fellowship means the sharing of the life of Jesus Christ between the family of God. Amen? And so it's very important. And we see in the first church, those that were baptized, those that were saved, continued in the doctrine. Great. They also continued in fellowship. They also continued in breaking of bread. And so there's nothing that brings people together like food. And in the Middle East, they eat bread. Most other countries around the world, if it was written to people in the Philippines, it would say, and they continued steadfastly in eating rice together. <laughs> but they got together, breaking of bread. Of course, the bread can speak of the word of God as well. They continued steadfastly in prayer. And they that believed were together. They had all things in common. They met each other's needs. They continued together in the temple. They continued together in houses. Next week, next Wednesday night, we're going to be in houses. There's been stories from Eastern European countries. You've probably heard them before. Maybe even seen documentaries uh, decades ago. And there were so many orphans institutionalized in some of those Eastern Bloc countries. And there wasn't enough food or medical supplies for the staff to take care of all the orphans. And the babies, often who were past toddler age, were still kept in nappies and they were placed in cribs and they really had no contact with other people, very limited contact. No, there's really, there were so many babies, the staff couldn't really look after them properly just to keep them alive. And they were lifted out of their bed and they were fed they were fed and, and they infrequently had their nappies changed, and, but there was no physical contact with other humans. And maybe you've seen that. There was no cuddling of the children. There was no holding the baby's hands or holding the baby. And we see that because of that lack of contact and lack of community and the lack of physical contact with other humans that they didn't develop normally. And the same is with us as Christians. We don't grow normally as Christians when we are not in fellowship. Fellowship is so important. 
Uh, a poet named John Doan wrote this, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. And that's why I use that little, that little jigsaw thing. I think that is a good picture of what fellowship is. It's true, we were not created to be islands. We were created for community. That's the way God created us. And I know maybe, maybe you're an introvert and you like some isolation and you like quiet time and that's fine. Don't feel bad about that. But we were not created to do that forever. Okay, We were not created to be hermits. Firstly, we were meant to have communion with God. Yes. And secondly, we were to have communion with others. And it's been part of the church since the beginning of the New Testament church. Amen. And so we need to have the habit of fellowship. Now, for those that have been around church for a while, they'll know that I have a teaching where I talk about the four pillars of the Christian life. The four pillars. And there could be probably more pillars, but I just thought of four pillars. Simple things that if you can have these disciplines, these habits in your life, that you can have a strong Christian life. Okay? Prayer. Everyone say prayer. That's a good one. Word, the Word of God. Yep. Number three, fellowship. Number four, personal involvement. I believe these are the four keys to a successful and growing Christian walk. To pray, to be in the word, to be in fellowship with other believers so you can be encouraged and strengthened, so you can give and so you can receive. And also personal involvement, to be giving something, doing your part in the body of Christ. And so in part of those, those pillars, it's so important. Fellowship is the, an important habit. In fact, here are a few reasons why we need the habit of fellowship. Number one, we need encouragement from others to help us grow spiritually. I need encouragement to help me grow spiritually. Hebrews 10 says, let us think of one another and let us think about how we can encourage each other to love and to do good deeds. And so we need to encourage each other. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 says, two are better than one. Okay? If one of them falls down, the other can help him up. But if someone is alone and they fall, it's just too bad because there's no one to help them. Two men or two people can resist an attack that would defeat one man alone. A rope made of three cords is hard to break, is not quickly broken. And so I need encouragement to help me grow spiritually. Okay? Very, very important. I, I, need, I need those things. There, there is great spiritual power in unity. I need, I need accountability. Everyone say accountability. Every day, keep encouraging one another so that none of you is hardened by the glamour of sin. And if you're in fellowship and you see a brother or sister, and I'm not telling you to be a busybody, all right, but if you see someone you're close to and you can see that they're drifting away from God, maybe going back to some things that they used to do before they, they were a Christian or maybe they started forsaking coming to church or maybe they, they're down and you're finding that their, their countenance is fallen, ask them. Make them accountable or make yourself accountable. Care for somebody. We need, I need somebody. I, I hope that if, if, if I was going down the wrong track, that there'd be someone around here that would say, Pastor, are you all right? Can I pray with you? I'm concerned. 
From what I'm seeing, I'm worried. And of course, I'm accountable to our church board here and, and bishop and, and our presbyter and all of those things. I'm accountable because accountability helps me grow. It keeps me safe. Yeah, it keeps us safe. We might not like it, but it keeps us safe. You know, young people, when your parents ring you up and say, where are you? We've been expecting you home. They've got better things to do than to call you. I mean, it's not like they're sitting at home thinking, well, what are we going to do? Well, let's just annoy our kids and call them. No. There's safety and accountability. And you'll appreciate that one day, and I can't wait until some of the young people become parents themselves, and then they'll understand just what it feels like. I need account accountability to help me grow spiritually. There's, there's power in unity. It says, forever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. If two or three agree about anything that we pray for, it will be done. And so there's power when, when we come together. God has given me gifts as well to bless the church family, the fellowship. God is, and 1 Peter 4 verse 10 talks about the special abilities and the talents and that we are given these to help each other. It's so important. And so we read from Acts chapter 2 today. I'm not going to keep you long, I hope, tonight. But we read in Acts chapter 2, the very first account of the New Testament church, we read of people being saved, and then we read what they did after. They held fast to the doctrine, okay? But they continued in fellowship. The very first account of the New Testament church highlights the importance of fellowship. And Luke described this body of believers. They were formed there on the day of Pentecost. He said they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine and to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. And so someone may say, well, I'm not surprised that, that Luke, when he was writing Acts, he mentions that they, they paid special attention to doctrine. Yeah, doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. Yes, that's great. One of, one of the fundamentals of the church is the Word of God and to study the Word of God. But second was fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Why? Because they knew all these things. It's going to help them grow spiritually. It's going to help them accountability in, the body, in that fellowship. It's going to help them grow spiritually as well. They knew the power that was in unity. They, God had given them gifts to bless the church. All of those things. And so first doctrine they were committed to, and then they were committed to fellowship. And then consider what the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 1 verse 3. You can turn there. I don't know if I've got it on the screen. It says, let's go there. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. Right at the back of your Bible there. 1 John 1 and verse 3. It's, it says here, That which you have seen and heard, uh, seen and heard, declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father. In other words, we've already got a horizontal relationship. We want to have a horizontal relationship with you. So it says, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. We're declaring what we've seen and heard, that you may have fellowship with us. And so when somebody's saved, we want them to come into fellowship and be part of the body so they can receive and they can give and they're going to bring talents and all of those things to help the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. Now, before I finish, I want to talk about geese. Everyone say geese. Has anyone, ever, has anyone have an, ever had an encounter with a goose? Lift your hand if you put it in. Yeah? They make great guard dogs. In fact, some people say geese are better than guard dogs. 
I like to go to farms sometimes, and uh, I walk down to this, uh, this man and ladies. They had all these beautiful white geese. And I walked down there, and I was walking through their farm. They didn't tell me about these geese, but a couple of these geese came at me, and they wouldn't stop. <laughs> it's kind of scary. I, I thought these big fluffy things, I thought they would be big fluffy white things. I thought they looked so beautiful until they were trying to kill me. But geese, and these aren't, there's going to be a picture on the screen. These aren't the white geese that I saw. These are, these are like North American geese, I think, but uh, maybe they're in Australia as well. I just Googled geese. Geese flying in formation. But, you know, when they migrate, they get together before they migrate for the winter. And nobody has to teach them to do that. God created them that way. They don't have to think about it. They were created that way. It's in their instinct. God put it there. They're getting ready to migrate. They're getting ready to go on a big trip, a dangerous trip. I guess you could call life as a pretty dangerous trip as well. We're on a trip. But these geese, they're getting ready to migrate for the winter and, and they get together because they know if we get together, the journey's going to be easier. When you see these geese migrating, and you'll see them in Canberra sometimes as well, uh, they fly in a V formation. How many people have ever seen the geese flying in a V formation? Yep. Have you seen Lucas geese flying in a V? Good. And so why, why do they fly in a V formation? You see, they didn't get taught that either. No one took them to goose training school and said, okay, guys, you're, you know you're a goose. And, and when winter comes, we, we meet here and, and then we're going to take off and we're going to fly in a V formation. They, they just created that way. God created. Isn't God's creation amazing? It really is. That is amazing. And so they get together, they fly in a V formation. And science has discovered why they fly in that formation. I mean, God already knew. Now mankind's catching up and finding out why. But research has revealed that each bird, as each bird flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the bird behind it. And so as the goose in front is flapping its wings, it's creating an updrift that encourages or lifts up the goose behind and so by flying in that V formation, the whole flock adds at least 71% greater flying range than if they did it on their own. So by flying in a V formation, they can go 71% further than if they were doing it on their own. Isn't that amazing? And people who share a common direction and a sense of community, psychologists have found this as well, they're going to go places quicker and more easier because we were created to be together. And I guess when we're together and we're, we're flapping our wings, we're helping the person behind us. We're lifting them up and encouraging them. When we're in the, in the formation of coming together as a church, there is unity and there is power. And so we're going to embark on this journey to heaven together. And when we get in formation, when we're in fellowship, the journey becomes easier. Everyone say easier. And so the geese do this because God gave them an instinct. They get together before they migrate. And as Christians, God told us, he said, get together, walk together, spend time together, grow together. We're on the journey to heaven. It's going to be easier when we are in fellowship. And so the geese also, they stay together 
for their own survival. We too also stay in one body for our survival. We know if you look at the African documentaries in the big herds of, of uh, wildebeest and things like that, the ones that get a, the, the lions and the tigers will try to separate one off. And it's the same with us. The devil will come and try to separate one so he can destroy, but there is strength in unity. And so if we as people have as much sense as geese, it's not nice to call someone a goose, but if we have as much sense as geese, we will stay in fellowship and we will find the benefits of being in fellowship. You see, we've got to be careful we don't let ourselves drift out to the edge, become disconnected from the body of Christ. There's danger when you're on the edge. There's danger when you start getting out of formation. And we can see that in even the life of Simon Peter. We know that he preached on the day of Pentecost, but before that, he let himself drift. The Bible said, Simon Peter followed Jesus from afar. He was on the edge. The scripture says that he was on the edge and he found himself warming himself by the enemy's fire. He was so far from Jesus that the fire of, of God was no longer inspiring him and he started finding him some warmth at the enemy's fire. There's something else about geese. So don't make sure you're in formation. Make sure you're in fellowship. And much more as we see the last days approaching. We need each other. We need each other, brothers and sisters. I need you. You need me. We need each other to encourage each other. Not just to have a cup of tea, talk about football, but to encourage each other. But there's something else that these geese do. So some of you have seen the, the geese flying in formation. Has anyone ever heard the geese flying in formation? Bing. That's right, they honk. I've been up at Eucumbine and in the lakes, and you, ah, 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 just constant. I don't know if it's one making all that noise, or they're all making it like a choir or something like that. But as they fly, they honk. Ah, 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 ah. Have you heard it? Anyone heard it now that I reminded you? Yeah, you've heard it. <laughs> they're making all kinds of noise, and they're honking at each other as they fly. And so they've looked at that, why, why do geese honk? The researchers tell us that the geese honk from behind to encourage those in the front to keep up the speed. <laughs> Honking. And we've got to honk at each other sometimes. <laughs> Terrible analogy, eh? I went to church tonight, pastor was, called us geese. Told us we ought to honk more. <laughs> we got to honk. Encourage each other. You see your brother slowing down? Give him a honk. Come on, brother. We can do it, brother Musica. We can make it. Don't be weary in well-doing because we're going to reap if we faint not. Honk, honk, honk. I mean, I do a lot of honking up here. But don't let the honking just be from here. We ought to be honking each other. Encouraging each other. That's why the goose from behind saying, come on, you can make it. Keep the speed up. We're going to make it. Jesus coming back. We're going to get there. We're going to get to that winter wonderland. We're going we're gonna to be right. <laughs> don't be a critic. Be an encourager. Amen. These geese are encouraging each other. Why? Because it's a long journey. 
It's a long way to go if you don't have any, someone encourage you. As Christians, we should do the same thing. We are on a long journey and we, we need Jesus and we need each other. Also, geese illustrate the concept of sharing burdens with one another. When a goose gets sick or wounded by gunfire and falls out of the sky, other geese will fall out of formation to go and help and stay with that goose. I read all this when I was looking, reading about geese. They stay with the goose until it's either able to fly again or it dies. And then they launch out on their own with another formation to catch up to the group. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15 verse 1 says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just to please ourselves. It's not just each one for their own. Sometimes those that are strong are going to help those that are weak. If we have the sense of a goose, we will stand by each other. We will help each other. We will encourage each other. We will help bear one another's burdens. When things are tough, you see, there is power in encouraging. Encouragement is such a powerful force, isn't it? You feel great. You like being around people that are encouragers, don't you? Who likes being around nice people? Yeah, we do. We, we quickly figure out the ones that are nice and we steer clear of them. We, how many people like being around somebody that encourages us? We don't want to really admit it, you know, like, I like a pat on the back every now and then. But it feels good. When your boss, I had a boss, one of my first bosses, every Friday afternoon, I'd leave work and he said to me, he goes, he used to call me JD, he says, JD, thanks for everything you've done this week. It's been great. And I walked out, I thought, wow. Made me feel special. I mean, I don't, know, you, I don't know if I did a good job or not, but anyway, he made me feel good. We like to be around people like that. Be an encourager. There's so much strength in, 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 when we're encouraging each other. Encouragement is such a powerful force. It is one of the most powerful things you can do for someone else. Sometimes we want to give money. And that's good. You can help someone with money, give them your time. But, you know, just to encourage somebody... Ring them up and say, I just, I just want to call you and encourage you. Amen. I'm going to finish with the story of Charles Dickens. How many people have heard of Charles Dickens? I hope you have. <laughs> Most people that have been to school would have read some of the books, but his life did not exactly provide him with the conditions to be one of the greatest literary writers. Charles Dickens had a difficult life, yet that's what he became. He became one of the greatest writers he was forced to quit school when he was 12 because his father was imprisoned. He had an outrageous debt and had to go to jail. And so Dickens spent his days pasting labels on bottles in a workplace. He would go and just paste labels on bottles because he had to quit school when he was 12. He desired to write and he pursued that dream only to have his work rejected time and time again. He wanted to write a book. Want to get picked up by a publisher. So he'd write and write and he'd submit the work. And you know what? They kept sending it back saying, no, not good enough. But one day, one of his stories, although already had been denied by publication, one of the stories was sent back to him with a note on saying, he said, Charles, you're a great writer and the, wor and the world needs you. Although the story was rejected, it came with some encouragement. You're a great writer 
and the world needs you. And those small words of encouragement sent Charles Dickens running up and down the streets of London rejoicing. They also served as the encouragement, the staying power in his writing, and he kept going. He's like, you know what, I'm getting rejected, but somebody encouraged me. And he kept going. And now we have these masterpieces that you, you guys have read at school. Oliver Twist, Great Expectations, The Tale of Two Cities, all written by Charles, Charles Dickens. Where would he be if somebody didn't take the time to encourage him? And as we walk through life, we live in a broken world. How many people know being a Christian in these times is tough? Yeah? We can encourage each other. And that's what fellowship is about. Get connected. And, and this is our last midweek before we have our home friendship groups. So I really want to encourage each of us to get connected in a midweek group, in a Bible study group where it's a smaller group where you can get to know each other. You can share your testimonies. We can't always, in a big group like this, share prayer requests uh, of, of a more personal nature. I'm not saying that in the small groups we just pour our hearts out, all of our private details, but there may be something you feel more comfortable sharing in a smaller group and you can pray about it together. There, there, is, there is a purpose and that's why God instituted it from the very beginning. We were created to be in community and fellowship is so important to being a Christian. You know, we, we focus on doctrine. Yeah, and the word of God, it's forever settled in heaven. And, and we focus on worship and we focus on prayer. All of these things, they're, they're all important, but we often neglect fellowship because we don't understand it properly. We think, oh, getting together, having a meal together, I don't need that. But we need it. If we're going to make it, we're going to stay connected. Fellowship. Let's all stand tonight. Praise God. I hope you got something out of that tonight, but if you didn't get anything out of it, just get this out of it. I want you to be connected into a small group during the week so you can have fellowship. Yeah, and our groups, they have supper. They have food. We have to tell the Filipinos to slow down. They have too much food. At an Aussie small group, we might get a few biscuits. <laughs> I, I, I want to get invited to the Filipino group one day when you have spring rolls. <laughs> we have good fellowship, and so that's what it's all about. Praise God. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We just thank you for your word. And Lord God, Lord, we know that we are living in these last days. Lord God, and I pray, Lord, help us not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. Lord God, I pray for those, Lord, that may find themselves on the edge tonight. Lord God, Lord, help them, Lord God, to come into fellowship. Lord God, to find other believers that they can encourage and give and take. And Lord God, that we all may be able to make this journey together, Lord God. Lord, help us to understand and appreciate and to get involved in the ministry of encouragement. Lord God, that's one thing we can all do, Lord God. Help us to be encouragers. Help us not to be critics. Help us, oh God, to see the good in people, not just the bad. Give us words, give us wisdom to encourage, Lord God, others, especially those of the household of faith. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen.